0: For those tough wake ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major Foul. Wake up to Serious Sports Talk. He fist is it! It's Marsh. The CFL, baby, and Mellow. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football! For those tough wake ups. They're heating up! It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to Serious Sports Talk. Gas tank gonna be full! It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's
1: Martian Mellow. Thank you, Canada.
0: Everybody's doing it.
1: Good morning or afternoon or evening or middle of the night or whenever you weird people decide to listen to Martian Mellow. Recapping week number 10 of the Canadian Football League season. Thank you for being here. As always, thank you to our good friends at Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off. Of your order, I had a coach recently reach out to me and say, uh, "Hey, do you know if Fox 40 has any like actual helmets or sporting equipment?" I said, nah, "I'm sorry." They said, "Well, I, I got this kid he needs like a triple XL helmet." I'm like, I can relate because I had to wear an XL helmet <laughs> as a quarterback, and the only XL helmets that we had were offensive lineman helmets. When I was in grade ten, I believe the first year that I ever played football. Uh, and I remember them trying to find a quarterback face mask to strap onto an extra large helmet for a grade 10 kid that had a dome that was way too big for his age. Oh, uh, and it was not easy. They had to, had yeah. to pull some springs on that one.
2: Hey, uh, d- don't feel uh, too bad because uh, growing up, I was, uh, I was a beefier child, right? And when I played hockey, the jerseys that they would give, you know, like the numbers one through 15 that they could, kid- like, here, kid. You're two here, kid. You're three here, four, but there were different sizes, right? So I was always like in the 12 to 15 range. Cause usually that were the biggest sizes of jerseys. Yep. Um, eventually I got to the point, um, none of the jerseys fit Kyle. So <laughs> we have to order another Jersey for Kyle positive though. I got to pick my number hey. so I could pick whatever number I wanted. So like when I was in Tyke and novice, I was a 99. How great is that? I was the only kid in the league with the number 99 because I was the only kid in the league. I got to pick my own number. (laughs) Uh,
1: That also reminds me of so first year I ever played football, I wore number 93. 93. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I passed it off as being cool in my own mind because of Doug Gilmore because I grew up in Kingston. Uh, yeah. even though I was playing football and I'd never played hockey, it was like eh, 93. It's kind of has this like cool look to it. And It just reminds me of when I was watching the Leafs, when I was a younger kid with Dougie on that team. So, uh, I wore 93 and then I remember one game in that season, that first year where I wore 93 and I was playing tight end, by the way, wearing 93 Whew, man, that's a weird, weird combo. Uh, but they said, we're going to wear these like throwbacks, these alternate jerseys because we're playing Regiopolis, Notre Dame. And they've got this kind of maroon look to their uniforms. Yeah. And so we're going to wear silver and to get an alternate uniform when you're in high school is mind blowing because you're just not used to having anything other than the uniform that you always wear for the most part, unless you go to you know, a Catholic school and you've got three uniforms, but I was, I was public board and all the rest. So it was like, oh my goodness, we get to wear these different ones. And because I was a huge Tom Brady fan, they gave me one of the first picks and I went 12. And I'm like, okay. So I get number 12. But it was like a crop top, like it was peak Zeke Elliott, like barely went past <laughs> my, barely went past my shoulder Good pads. <laughs> it was, it was above my belly button and I wore it for a single game in grade 10 and I, I don't know how I ever thought that that was an okay thing, but like as a not in great shape, uh, tight end to be running around wearing 12 because it was my favorite player's number in the NFL and having this like rolled up crop top. I'm like, you look back at pictures of that stuff. You're like, what yeah. the hell was I doing? It's so strange that the decisions you make when you're in high school, because you're just so impulsive.
2: Yeah. I will say this though. um I'm appreciating in the national football league uh this year that they changed the number ranges. Oh, you like uh, that for receivers. Oh yeah. I like it. Uh, really? I Cause I like watching college and seeing receivers wear number one or wear number two or wear something like just out of the norm. Right. I'm sick and tired of seeing like tight ends where it's like, Oh, that guy's number 80 something. Or like the Dallas Clark thing. He's 47. That's a little weird. Right. Um, But yeah, I appreciate like a tight end wearing number
1: 12. Um, But Hey, well, <sighs> I uh, don't, I don't, man. Really? I, you and, don't and like I, the the change. It's no, know it, what it honestly is, is that I'm not theoretically opposed to it. It's that I'm conditioned it's that i like to know when i'm watching and i again i understand that like you know chris edwards for the argos is wearing number six as a as a linebacker and it's like you know that's the cfl has always been like yeah and it's not normal it's not traditional and so for the cfl i don't even think about it but when i'm watching the nfl for some reason i like my my tight ends to be in the 80s i like my defensive lineman in the 90s i like i don't know why that is but uh, it's just because I've watched the games, I think for so long that I enjoy knowing. And, and also part of it again, because I'm a Brady person, Brady's been one of the most outspoken people on this issue. And I feel like just because he has this take, I don't, I don't agree with everything that Tom says, God, th- let me get that on the front end. Uh, cause he just says some things that you're like, Ooh, yeah. Uh, but when he talks about the numbers and identifying as a quarterback where people are coming from and knowing blitzes and pointing out, Hey, this person's the mic and it doesn't change your responsibilities on the field. It's just that you're such a creature of habit as a quarterback of identifying and using your eyes quickly to look outside yeah, yeah, yeah. and go, you know, Oh, there's number 21. That's a defensive back. Okay. That means I need to send my running back there because I'm going to send my, my smallest guy to their smallest guy. And I'm going to keep my bigs on their bigs in the protection scheme. Yeah. And, and, uh, for, for, to look over and see like, number six oh and it's a defensive end all of a sudden like you can tell the body type but it takes that extra little half second so I understand why Tom doesn't like that stuff
2: yeah that is interesting I never thought of it from that point of view from from a quarterback trying to identify blitzers and stuff where it's like huh, that guy looks like a linebacker but now his numbers different yeah. um, especially if if the opposition and the defense is going deep into their depth chart and it's like crap I can't remember if that guy's a DB or a linebacker he He looks like a DB. He won't get to me (laughs) if he blitzes. Right.
1: And then all of a sudden he blitzes. He's like, damn it. He
2: was a DB. He was a corner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. It's always, you know, in the CFL, it has always kind of messed me up how, and I don't, I'll probably have this wrong, but I think Toby Antigua, when he was playing for Saskatchewan, was wearing like number 15 or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, 15. Yeah. Was it? Okay. So he was well, wearing. Well, he knocked Mwamba, wears number 10, right? Right. So Toby, but the thing with Toby Antigua is I remember distinctly a game in which he intercepted Jeremiah Masoli in the fourth quarter in Saskatchewan. I think it was the first time the Ticats went to New Mosaic. And he's wearing 15. Like Chris Jones was using him. At one point, he was the boundary corner and he blitzed from the corner. Another play, he was playing free safety and he got this interception off Masoli. Yeah. Another another play, he was linebacker. Another play, he was defensive end. And so you're seeing this guy wearing 15, which I associate with essentially quarterbacks, maybe a receiver, but really nothing else. A guy wearing 15, playing corner, free safety, middle linebacker and defensive end. And it's like, how the hell are you supposed to identify who this person <laughs> is? And that's part <laughs> of the reasoning, right? I'm sure that Chris Jones is moving them all around. Yeah. But but then you you take the fact that he's moving all around And you add in the idea that he's wearing 15. And it's like that that's actually tough on a quarterback to recognize and to diagnose and to do the right things. But so again, I I'm not against people having flexibility and freedom of choosing their number. And I think that over time we'll get desensitized to it, but there are little moments where, and it's only ever like one or two players that have a really whack number that really throws you off. Everybody else. It's really not an issue.
2: Excuse my, uh, (laughs) <laughs> my uh, my terrible brain for not remembering quinlan was number what number did quinlan 12 where so he was brady's number so that's yeah. why you didn't get brady's number going into well
1: university. it's funny i um i, I always <laughs> this is kind of a loser a reason why I wore number two it's a very defeatist number which as I do more and more work on myself and understanding like the mental capacity of you know what I was as an athlete and how to approach sports broadcasting like I like reading on on working on myself now and looking at these things and you, you look back at some of the decisions that you made like I talk about the impulsiveness and um and and I I wore number two because I grew up in basketball playing basketball ontario basketball association and playing uh, aau teams and things like that and i had aspirations of playing university basketball essentially until i fell in love with football in grade 11. but when i was growing up in basketball i always despised the kid who wore number one like i i hated and you know what i'm talking about kyle high school teams (laughs) elementary school teams uh rep teams if you're wearing number one traditionally you were probably your team's best player but also traditionally you were probably a cocky bastard so the, the <laughs> kids true. the kids that were our, like we play the scarborough blue devils or we would play against the mississauga monarchs or uh, i'm trying to think of some of the other reps. i don't even know if these teams exist anymore like i might just be throwing a random one well,
2: hamilton like. it was the wildcats yeah
1: hamilton wildcats we also played the ancaster abc magic i remember playing against them Oh, yeah. They're familiar. Um, Yeah. The Barry Royals. We played against the uh, Ottawa Gloucester. uh, I forget what they were called, but there are all these teams that were kind of like staples of the of the Ontario rep basketball circuit. And we would always play against these teams. And number one, it was either the kid wearing number one or the kid wearing number 23. That would always be the just cocky best, like in your face player. So I chose at a very young age, number two, because I made the decision. You know what? I'm going to be the opposite of the kids that are wearing number one. And it wasn't even a coach that got in my ear and talked to me about this. That was just a a thing that I realized as I grew up in sport was I wanna wear number two, not because I wanna be the number two or take the back seat to anybody or not be the best player on my team. I'm wearing number two because I want to represent what the number two means to me, which is being a good teammate, sharing the basketball, playing good defense, making effort plays. And uh and so I just took that from basketball. And when I got into football, yeah, it just so happened that two was a great quarterback number. And I was like, can I just get two when I was in high school they said sure so of course when I go to university can I just get two and they're like yeah you're the quarterback you can basically pick whatever number you want we'll just bump whoever has whatever else they want so yeah uh, anyways that's an extremely uh, (laughs) self-effacing uninteresting story on how I became number two which I don't think anybody cares about but it was it is interesting to look back and be like why as a kid did I decide that the values of number two were something I wanted to uphold my entire sporting career I have no idea
2: It is, uh, interesting that you mentioned that because coming from the sport of soccer, it's usually, oh, the best player gets number 10, right. Yeah. Or the creative midfielder gets number 10 in soccer. There's, you know, people designate positions by numbers and it, it is ridiculous, right? Like you'll never see a striker where number two, why? Well, cause number two is always for the defender. Yeah, I was a goalie. Number one's always the goalie. Right. And that's a thing. Um, Now, I I wore different numbers uh, playing soccer because we got to pick our own jersey numbers and I was and I got tired of wearing number one every year. So I think I wore 97 one year. By the way, Connor McDavid, I was 97 before you were. (laughs) I'm just going to put that up. Rumor Uh, is it that's why McDavid went with 97. (laughs) That's why. Um, But. And uh, yeah, so, so to, to your to your point about, you know, the, the number 10 being the cocky guy. And it's like, well, yeah, the number 10 is usually their best player. But in soccer, it's like the strikers number nine, the creative midfielder is number 10, the left back or the right back is always number two. And it's like, let's get rid of these stupid number you know (laughs) cemented things that we have because oh that's the way it's always been and i always say this it's a terrible reason if that's the only reasoning for it
1: Uh, yeah i'm with you on that you know who is number one kyle toronto argonauts uh they are number one right now in the east as i transition seamlessly six and three on the year they win back-to-back games against Ottawa and Hamilton over a five-day stretch. We will dive into all of that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to Sawdust City Brewing Company. They're offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website, sawdustcitybeer.com, to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. And, of course, you can use that uh, promo code that is CFL and get free shipping on your first order over $100. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. All right, uh, so the CFL week number 10 this is the last wacky week that we have. This was a this was a three week stretch across the Canadian Football League where so many things were <laughs> condensed and jammed together. And we were Ottawa just played a stretch of Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, okay, in their games. They played, uh, they, they went Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thanksgiving Monday. Moving forward, I'm very happy to say Fridays and Saturdays. Okay, that's it. I'm like I'm looking through the schedule right now. Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, 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 Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, until we hit the playoffs, at which point we're going to get into, of course, the Sundays. But there is not a game the remainder of the year after the last three-week stretch that we just went through that is not on a Friday, a Saturday, or a playoff Sunday. Prayers up. God bless. I like it. Thank you, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, the Thursday night football throughout the summer. I always appreciate you, but this has been a weird-as-hell season. <laughs> because it's condensed and because it's shortened and because we got a late start and, and 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 i'm i'm honestly thankful to be through this wacky stretch of games all over the place i love my football on friday nights i love my saturday afternoon kickoffs i love my sunday afternoon playoffs how do you feel about moving forward here from what we've just went through and how do you think that it played out considering there were games all over the place
2: yeah, the CFL was forced into it right out of necessity um, yep. to try to fit in the schedule, and you know COVID and you know moving some games. And around.
1: I, I just want to mention this as well. I was on the CFL and TSN conference call this past week, and the messaging on this from the actual CFL and Randy Ambrosi to the broadcast partner TSN on this like internal conference call that I'm on was, we're not doing this because we need to jam games in because we just want to get a bunch of games in. This was agreed upon with the CFL Players Association. We presented them a schedule and said, here's what we're looking at in order to get in the most amount of games for you as players to get you the most amount of money if you're getting paid yeah. per game. And the CFL Players Association signed off on that. And so the messaging on this is not, well, they're being reckless. They're throwing a bunch of games together and everyone's going to get injured and tired. It was, we all agreed to do this together because we want to get as much football on the field after a year where we did not have any football. So that that's why this yeah. all happened in the last couple of weeks.
2: And how many games got moved? Just the one, Edmonton and Toronto?
1: So far, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, yeah. and I, I still don't really have a good sense for where we moved everything because I know the weekend, this was kind of funny, the weekend that they changed the schedule that they announced, hey, Edmonton, Toronto is going to get bumped back and then we're going to move the kickoff time of this game. And that, like TSN hammered that, hammered that on that broadcast that weekend, all weekend long. Hey, so, you know, there's, here, here's the changes. And for me, I'm, I'm like, just tell me when the game is. Like, tell me that week when the game, because I can't figure out what all the changes were and why they were. And I know they were trying to be transparent with it so that people in the media would understand the actual plan going forward. But yeah, I mean, it's when you look at what has happened in Alberta with COVID numbers, and when you consider that there were multiple violations, uh, according to CFLPR of different things, then it's pretty amazing. There's only been one game that's been affected. And I'm really hopeful seeing full stands in Hamilton where you were yesterday, Kyle, for that game on Thanksgiving Monday. Yeah. And seeing the Grey Cup festival starting to ramp up a little bit. I mean, Kyle, two months from today is the Grey Cup. Like it, it's October 12th, it's <laughs> right? And like November 12th, December 12th, two months from today, the CFL season ends. That is unbelievable. But at the same time, Two months from today is the ending point, and it finally, and again, this might just be me out of the loop on all sorts of things, because I'm just, my head is buried in the CFL sand, and I don't really look at, it, I don't read the news or check it on Twitter for anything more than CFL stuff, but it feels like we're in a pretty good place. Like, does it not feel like Toronto, Edmonton, barring somebody being a complete idiot or a team just completely defying the rules. We've weathered the storm of oh yeah a lot of player vaccinations. The vaccination rates are really high for the teams. It seems like we're in a place right now that the season is on a good trajectory to finish the way that Randy Ambrosi told me he wants it to finish. Because at the start of the season, I said, what does a successful season in 2021 look like for you? And he said, me standing on a podium on December 12th at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, handing the great cup trophy over to a wonderful champion that has earned the right to be called the 2021 great cup champs and i'm like like i that that seems like that's exactly where we're headed at this point So that that's yeah. really good yeah and i'm glad ambrose said that right because i think
2: it's important that and again things happen during a season maybe more so during a pandemic um but when you hand out that great cup trophy you want it to be a to a deserving champion right not a champion that you know, got lucky in the division final because the opposition had six guys have to sit out because of COVID, right? Now we're still not there yet. And the travel um, stuff
1: is a little sketchy.
2: The travel stuff is, you know, a little hard. Uh, maybe some guys are going to have to do a road trip, yeah. right? And uh, not going to have to practice or not going to be able to practice, uh, you know, the, essentially the the week of the great cup, uh, maybe for a couple of days uh, because, hey, we can't fly but we
1: can definitely drive uh so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a tough but i don't know if they can like i thought that was the report from dave naylor that i think like trains and buses and players driving across the country by themselves are off limits and it won't affect no it was
2: only flight and rail i think
1: was it okay i i again i'm out of the loop on the news side of things because i've just head buried in the actual football sand but um it, it's pretty crazy to think if this was a Western great cup, the game was in Regina or it was in Calgary, Edmonton, like it was the last yeah. couple of years that teams from the East would have a competitive advantage if you were able to drive places. But as soon as you get to the West, it's like, okay, let's pack up all of our unvaccinated players. And Which by the way, it becomes pretty obvious. Who's being an idiot. About, I mean, medical clearances aside, who's being an idiot about not getting vaccinated when all of a sudden you show up for media availability on Tuesday of great cup week and like six of your players are missing. And like, hey, why weren't they at walkthrough? And, and you're like, oh, they're driving through Timmins. <laughs> they might
2: they might adjust the schedules uh, to not put those players out um, on Front Street because, hey, they're not here. Uh, but I'm saying... driving across the country. But
1: logi- logistically, it, and again, this is not an issue because it's an Eastern Grey Cup, so I don't think it's going to be a problem. I mean, maybe for the West teams, it still is, but I'm just thinking, like, if the Ticats were to get to the Grey Cup and it was in Calgary, and like it was in 2019, how are you logistically going to get your players there on time if it's way the hell over there? Like, cause the second that you win the East final, let's say yeah. on, a, on a Sunday, you've got to be there to do things Wednesday morning, essentially, because I believe the coach's press conference is usually on the Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, maybe Wednesday morning. Maybe the uh, team
2: would decide to fly in on the Monday and those players meet up with them on the Wednesday.
1: Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is, like, you better start hauling ass. Like, you better get your stuff together and get no, to no, no. <laughs> it. <it's laughs> that's the logistics that I find kind of funny is, like, you win the game and it's like you want to celebrate. Hey, we're going to the Great Cup. And then it's like, if you're unvaccinated, your coaches go get in the car. Go, now. go <laughs> start. Start driving. Uh, and I don't know how that would all shake up. But anyways, that's that's all neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to
2: say, um, you mentioned the attendance at Tim Hortons field, 21,378. It looked technically not a sellout, but the Ontario government put the Ticats in a difficult situation to sell 6,000 tickets in (laughs) 72 hours. They sold about half of them because there was 18,000 before the announcement. Um, obviously Tim Hortons field hovers around, you know, 23, 24. Um, and, uh, they got to 21. So they sold about 3000 of those, uh, those leftover tickets, uh, couldn't sell the other um, tickets, but uh, hey, 21,378, it was good to see it to Morton's Field.
1: It looked great. It really did. On television, as I was watching it, it it made me happy. It's, uh, it's funny because about two weeks ago, I think it was the Montreal game, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the Montreal-Hamilton game. That's the most normal-sounding CFL game I've heard. Horns, Vuvuzelas, Cowbells fans cheering Mike neighbors going we need more Cal-Ban! like all of those things <laughs> that sounded like a CFL game and maybe it's because it's Hamilton and every stadium has a, a different unique sound to it and I'm used to Hamilton because I broadcasted games for five years there with you but uh it, it sounded the most normal to me and that's part of the momentum I'm talking about where it's like okay this feels kind of this feels right this feels normal yeah, yeah yeah um but that game looked and sounded fantastic and goes right down to the stretch we are going to recap some of the games here for you uh, not going to go back to the game that I called on Wednesday of Toronto against Ottawa because it was almost a full week ago at this point. Um, and then the Friday nighter, I don't think needs a lot of attention from us here other than for us to just say Winnipeg is very dominant and Edmonton is increasingly a mess. I, do you have any idea what they are doing in Edmonton going into this Friday's rematch against Winnipeg where they're like, hey, Trevor Harris, not playing. Healthy, not playing. Taylor Cornelius and Dakota Prukop. And it's, okay, so they're looking towards the future now. But does that mean that Trevor's not coming back? Like, uh, he's really going to end his season with a 30-3 to loss against Winnipeg where the first four throws he has in that game are some of the ugliest throws that I've seen all year long. Like, that's how they're just going to flame out at the end of this?
2: Yeah. Uh, For Edmonton, we were talking last week about essentially what decisions are being made in the organization. And I said, you know, Jimmy Elizondo has done very little to encourage Elks fans moving forward. Um, And you hear all the reports this week. If you're the organization, how does Brock Sunderland hold on to his job? It seems behind the scenes, it is a mess in Edmonton. And if the Elks aren't going to do anything to fix it, are you going to just run it back again? And if you made the decision this week to not play Trevor Harris, so are you running it back with a different quarterback and who's going to be your quarterback? Yeah. Like for, for, for Trevor Harris, he's looking around and thinking, man, I was in a good situation in Ottawa for, for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, uh, infighting with Marcel Desjardins, um, you know, maybe Rick Campbell losing a little bit of, you know, grip on, uh, on the team, um, when, when everybody left Ottawa, but again, I think Trevor Harris, you know, everybody leaving, cause they kind of followed his lead where Trevor Harris was like, uh-uh, I'm done in Ottawa. And now he's looking around and thinking, man, I dropped everything to come here and this is how I'm being treated. It's not Trevor Harris's fault that the the Elks are as bad as they are. And what Cornelius is going to come in? Cornelius can throw for 300 yards. You know what he is? He's a gunslinger. That's what he is. And when you're a gunslinger, it can go one of two ways. You can throw three touchdown passes, you can throw three interceptions. It seems that he's doing both. It's like two touchdown passes, three interceptions. You're not winning football games like that. And when you go against a Winnipeg team, um you know over the weekend and you know Winnipeg lays it to you and it's like uh, for, for Trevor Harris, there's there's bigger problems in the organization than just the quarterback play. And for for Jamie Elizondo, I I don't know what you do moving forward. But this isn't it. You don't take your star quarterback and sit him because you think. Oh, Cornelius gives us a better chance to win. Nobody in the room
1: thinks that. Uh, let's hear from Jamie Elizondo in his own words here, and then I'll give you my comment on what's happening. Uh, we'll just start with this. Uh, quarterback situation. Saw Taylor take a lot of reps. Saw Trevor take none. So what, what's, the, uh, what's the verdict there? Is there? Or is there one yet?
0: Yeah, we're moving forward with 15 and 14. Okay. Uh, what,
1: what are you seeing out of seven right now that leads you to
0: make that decision? For a number of different reasons, we're not getting the play that we need from the quarterback position and it's not just him. Anytime you're two and six, it's everybody. Um, But uh, we just feel that right now those guys give us the best combination, you know, to to be able to to move the ball down the field, get in rhythm, do some things.
1: It was a different scenario for Taylor to come off the bench. What did you see?
0: Yeah, you know, as soon as they put him in, um, when you're down two touchdowns, three touchdowns, it becomes a one-sided game because you got to throw it to get back in it. And that, against a defense like that, they can pin their ears back and, and, you know, but he got in there and made some nice throws, got a couple completions, and then that's when they started bringing a, a ton of pressure, and we need to be better at uh, handling zero blitz. The uh, optimism on day one, at the start of the week, when you're in your situation that you are,
1: Does it get harder or do you still sense that there's that enthusiasm and optimism from this group that, you know, that that, that's going to carry them towards Friday? Uh, You know,
0: I think anytime you lose four in a row, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, for the players. But at the end of the day, we've got some great leaders that are saying, hey, we got six left and you don't know how this thing is going to turn out. You know, I think I mentioned this last week. Wilder talked about his experience in Toronto and two and seven coming back and it's you know some other guys chimed in we were 2 and 2 and 8 and we you know got into the playoffs and so uh, the leaders take over you know during these times because i think the young guys for them it's hard it's also that point for the americans that are up here without families yeah. you know losing you know i think i think all those things weigh down on guys and and that's just the nature of it but there's got to be some resolve to to do our jobs better okay thank you
1: uh, is Dave the only person at Edmonton Media?
0: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
2: What is that? Oh, no, Jerry like Madajang is out there. Ah,
1: right? uh, yes, of course. Uh, but so my thinking on this is, and I'm willing to plant my flag here, and I'm I'm okay with being wrong on this if he proves me wrong, because if you, if I'm wrong, it's good for the league and it's good for Edmonton. I don't believe that Taylor Cornelius is the answer, and no. to my eye for scouting quarterbacks is different than Jamie Elizondo's is different than Brock Sunderland's and everybody's got their own appreciation of what works up here for me I would rather have Caleb Evans than I would have Taylor Cornelius and the reason that I say that is I like my quarterbacks in the CFL to have a little bit of maneuverability unless they have pinpoint accuracy that they can make just consistently great throws, stand in the pocket, and understand where to go with the football ahead of time. Like there's this in the Venn diagram in my mind of playing quarterback in the CFL. It's kind of like athleticism, which allows you to do a whole bunch of stuff, is in one of those three bubbles. And then you've got yourself, uh you know, the, the throw making ability, the kind of arm talent type stuff. And then you've got decision making. And to me, you know, if if you want to say the the full size of those bubbles is 100 percent. You know, Caleb Evans' athleticism, I'd put up at, like, 80%, okay? Yeah. Like, that, that's a thats a big part of his game. I would put the throw-making ability for Caleb Evans at, like, 60 65% right now. It's not great, but it's not bad. And then the decision-making right now for Caleb Evans, I would say, is at, like, a 40. But that 40 is going to go significantly up based on what I've seen. Like, there is so much growth and improvement that is possible yeah. there. And then when I look at Taylor Cornelius, I go, okay, athleticism. And everybody says, oh, he's a big, strong kid that can run. Yeah, he can move well for a massive person that doesn't mean (laughs) that 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 doesn't mean that he can move well that just means that for for his size he moves well okay but Caleb Evans would outrun out juke out everything him athletically a thousand times over oh but he's bigger okay sure they're they're in different weight classes that doesn't mean that they're fighting in the same division I
2: don't care if you're six one running away from a DB or you're six seven running away from a DB. Can you run away from the DB? Yeah, like right. It's, like, it's that's a results the
1: thing. results-based yeah. business. So his athleticism for me, Taylor Cornelius, is, is good for what he is, but it's not it's not going to separate him. It's not going to give it's not going to open up the playbook, which I honestly think is why Dakota Prukop is on the roster. Because I'm fully expecting pocket stuff is Cornelius. Athletic quarterback stuff is going to be pro cop going forward here for the rest of the season, as long as he's healthy. Well, Uh, that's
2: not a a great plan. uh, If you look around the CFL, The two quarterback system. I'm sorry, just it, it simply does not work. Yeah. Um, in the CFL, because there's no precedent to go off of, there's no successful precedent Ron to Lancaster
1: of. and Russ Jackson would oh, like a okay. word from the 1960 Ottawa rough riders. Okay. Yes.
2: Should we also run the ball 45 times a game in the CFL? Like that's what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> so I look at this and that was the first time I heard that clip. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Elizondo full of crap. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. He's absolutely full of crap oh, you know, this is a time where uh, leaders take over and, you know, they have to lead us out of this hole that we've put ourselves in. Leaders, the leader of your organization, you just benched and you just said you're not moving on with him. And by the way, for as much as Brock Sunderland has screwed up this season and has made decisions in the past in Edmonton that you can question, if I'm Brock Sunderland, I'm like, what the hell? I brought you in to be the head coach because you had a relationship with this quarterback and you had success, and now you just benched the guy. Yeah. Why do I have you? Uh,
1: my right? um, my thinking on this, too, is that – and I don't think that you're wrong about benching one of your leaders and talking about leaders. is. I, I just don't know what else he's <laughs> supposed to say at this point, but my frustration with this is we just went a full year without football. And everything that we do right now in the CFL is about getting back on track and building relationships and timing and chemistry. And I don't think that Trevor Harris needs to throw to Greg Ellingson in-game to get used to him. But Drell Walker ain't been in the end zone. Like, you don't want to get in-game reps. You don't want to lay down game film of Trevor. H- like, if the season is lost, yeah. if the season is lost, and you've lost four straight, and you're 2-6 and six and all these things, and you're sitting near the bottom of the, at the bottom of the West Division, then you probably need to look around and decide, where are we going organizationally? And that's why I believe that by them benching him, at this point, now there might be extenuating circumstances that we don't know about lingering in the background, but at face value, if you're going to bench him, that says to me, we're not going to move forward with you. Because if we're going to move forward with you, then you should be investing reps, putting down game film, and working on things in game because there is nothing like getting live reps for you to learn and figure things out. I always reference this story when I was in grade 10, I threw 20 interceptions in an eight game season. I was playing summer ball, 20 interceptions in an eight game season. That was in the summer, in the fall, one offsa 13 games straight for my high school team. Well, why were we so much better? Cuz I got live game reps. Like I played football. Yeah. I I learned the game and Trevor Harris doesn't have to learn the game, but I do think there's there's this constant evolution where you're always figuring out how to be better and you can't figure out how to be better when you're wearing sweats on the sideline watching Taylor Cornelius bounce off people with his 6667 frame. So, uh I I don't know what the vision is here, but at face value, this says to me that Trevor and Edmonton is in concern at this point.
2: Yeah. Um, for, I look at the struggles in Edmonton and I think to myself, Terrell Walker hasn't gotten the end zone, Greg Ellingson over and over again, there's been large parts of the season where he's just not a part of the offense. Right. And if you want the number one measurement on what the hell is going on in Edmonton and how bad the signs are looking, James Wilder Jr. is no longer flexing. James Wilder Jr. is just like, Oh, you're right. Get me to the end of this season. I'm (laughs) done with this crap. He's finishing runs, even if it's a first down. And he's just rolling the ball and walking back to the huddle. He's like, this is stupid. He's like, our team sucks.
1: You know who is doing the bow and arrow, though? Jalen Ackley. He's pulling that out on first. Yes. Down. He's letting it go. <laughs> Looking good while he's doing that. Uh let's move on from Edmonton because we could harp on them all day long but uh they're they're struggling. Winnipeg looks very very good. I I think I'm going to try to write an article this week on cfl.ca how the hell do you beat Winnipeg? Like what is the formula? Is <laughs> is there a formula because outside of hoping that uh is Mortada still their kicker at this point? Like I don't know. Uh I didn't think that he was going to survive that first game where he missed a couple and he did and then I don't I honestly don't know what's happening there. With Mike O'Shea, because Mortada misses kick after kick, comes to the sideline, and every time the first person to him is Mike O'Shea, who should be the least accepting of missing the kicks based on having Justin Medlock and all the rest. Yeah. But every time he comes to the sideline, and you can see O'Shea being like, "Hey, it's okay, Kate, okay, get back up." He's like crazy supportive of him to the point where I just feel like Ali Mortada has blackmail on Mike O'Shea. Like I don't know how else to explain this at this point of why is he still in there because Oof. like Tyler Krepina would not have been as bad as what mortada has done in his last no. two or three games and Legio. and that yeah and and yet <laughs> and if it's a salary concern like i promise you legio is not going to be worse than what mortada's done the last two or three games they're both
2: making nothing though. but, but that's again, what i'm that's saying a it's like but, about if, them,
1: but if they're both making nothing and they're both going to be inefficient as field goal <laughs> kickers then just cut the other guy like pay <laughs> pay one less of the thing So the other guy that's going to be (laughs) equally inefficient that's making equally less money is the only one making any money like and then that's only if it's a salary concern but that's where I'm at with this I'm like I don't understand just like I don't understand the long term vision in Edmonton at quarterback I don't understand what we've been doing in Winnipeg for the kicking game all
2: year here's the thing I don't think it matters. Uh, in Winnipeg because they're just crushing teams. Yeah, um, it does. Why there's going to come a point this season where the kicker does screw them over. I know, right? Um, the thing that would drive me nuts if I was on the bombers about Mortada, and you know this because you played sports. Um, thank and you, w- <laughs> no, but maybe, <laughs> but you played at a much higher level. So everybody else, the gap between skill sets, it maybe wasn't as great. I mean, you always have good players and not so good yeah. players. Um, but, but that that margin um, is pretty close. Um, the thing that would drive me nuts with Mortada is he's the super positive guy. Mm-hmm. He misses kicks, and he's like, he's like, ah, crap, I didn't get that one. And he's like running back to the sideline. He's like, come on, defense. Come on, defense. Come on, dude. Dude, stop missing freaking kicks. <laughs> like, that would drive me nuts. A super positive guy during non-positive times, that drives me up the wall. Uh, and for I Mortada, <laughs> he's got to be a little bit more cognizant of his emotions on the field.
1: I, I do feel bad, though, because sometimes he does come to the sideline and just look like an injured puppy. And I just, I want to hug him. I understand why O'Shea might be saying, hey, man, it's okay sometimes, because sometimes when he does come to the, like the the one that he hit against Edmonton this past week, where he hits it, and he knew as soon as it, t- it touched his foot, it wasn't good. Yeah. He, he immediately started undoing his chin strap and the booze started raining down. And you could, but although I will say, shout out to the Winnipeg fans, that crowd's been sensational all year long and with good reason, but the Winnipeg fan base, that was a world class Bronx cheer when he made an extra point, like world class that. It was it was so fast. They were they all knew they were doing it. I didn't even realize it was gonna happen. And then when as soon as the kick goes up and I started to hear it, I'm like, oh my god, they're actually gonna do this to him. And it's obviously you feel bad for him, but it is funny just the interaction of the fans with, with the players on the field because that's their way of saying, Hey, we paid good money to be here. We're voicing our displeasure with this situation. Do better. Like, do better. We're paying money so that you guys could be successful. Do better for us. And uh, and so they did this, Bronx. It was Loud and it was yeah. just it was it was beautiful the way that they executed that it's a it's one of those things where when it's been so long since you've enjoyed CFL football hearing a Bronx cheer like kind of warms your heart because you're like ah oh, I forgot like how fans could interact with the players mm-hmm. on the field what I think
2: is gonna happen moving
1: forward not
2: I think it's gonna happen or I want it to happen I think Mortada if like he if he makes a kick to like win a game even if it's like a 14 yard field goal. The celebration that dude's going to have is going to be so over the top and so nauseating, especially if Winnipeg is, like, especially still only one loss. It's like, dude, get over yourself. He's going to do, like, a Martin Gramatica, like, kind of celebration well, i just hope the, he uh, stays healthy
1: after <laughs> he can go to the jimmy camacho uh school of uh, of kicker celebrations because that oh, guy boy. that guy will hit an extra <laughs> point when he's down by 30 and he'll be like hitting the three against the side of the head and like juking his way off the field yeah, he secret-
2: was dancing a couple of weeks ago <laughs> when they were losing by double digits like dude what are you doing
1: that's amazing. Uh, By the way, you said I played sports, and so I just felt like checking my <laughs> iTunes library here for uh, the word sports because I felt like there was some good stuff. And not surprisingly, we have some great clips that are labeled as sports from the Marshmallow Library. Let's check out some of them. Super Juicy Sports. Oh, I'll turn this up a little bit. Here we go.
2: Super Juicy Sports.
1: Yeah, you said Super Juicy Sports one time on the radio show. This
0: we want to get our sports back, so importantly.
1: <laughs> this one is labeled Korean Radio Sports Drool. I don't know what that is.
0: E-game, diesel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Korean radio sports. Tru-
0: E-game, diesel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, that was probably from a baseball game.
0: Please, you just learned in sports. Step back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Steven A. <laughs> hey, always so good.
2: Uh, you hear cheers, you hear booze. It's part of being in sports. <laughs>
1: hey, there you go. For Ali Mortality. You hear booze, you hear cheers. That's. uh that's part of sports. And again, like we're struggling for sports content here. If TSN Speak had yourself, like just... <laughs> on webcam. <laughs> uh, that's That was peak pandemic radio right there. Kyle's sitting in the same room he's sitting in right now talking about about some topic and I just went full gym tatty underneath my breath. And again,
2: like we're struggling for sports content here. If TSN Speak had yourself, like
1: on webcam. <laughs> Speak for yourself. FS1, that. <laughs> FS1 next. Speak for yourself. Uh, okay, let's get into the game that you were at, Kyle. Uh, actually, you know what? Before we do that, Calgary, Saskatchewan, do you have any overwhelming Oof. thoughts? It was it was an entertaining one back and forth. Uh, I just want to do this chronologically. So let's do that one first. Uh, it, it was a fun matchup. Uh, I did not expect for Calgary to, to go in and get that victory, but uh, Saskatchewan's offense is still kind of trying to figure things out.
2: Oh, they can't wait for Duke Williams to come in the house. Yeah. Right. Um, so Cody Fajardo can Chuck, those 50, 50 balls and, uh, have a chance uh, for somebody to bring it down. Um, I don't know what's wrong, um, with the riders right now. It's not good. Um, and if I'm in Ryderville. I'm, uh, I'm really worried about this team because um, Cody Fajardo doesn't look right. Um, too many inaccurate throws. And, you know, people on Twitter after the game were saying to me, yeah, but it's the receivers. And I'm like, did you not see him one hop? Dude, there had to be at least four missed throws, out routes or corner routes. The dude cannot throw when a, a receiver is running to the sideline." Just overthrowing it, putting it way too far in front of the receiver. Um, there was one throw late in the game. It's simple. Like, just get a first down. And it was a little route, And he missed the throw by, like, three yards. He one-hopped it to the receiver. And it's like, if, if you're going to do this on a consistent basis, you guys don't have a shot. Your defense isn't good enough. Here's the problem. You are not Winnipeg, right? Winnipeg can lean on their defense, even when Zach Alaris is going through some stuff, right? Saskatchewan can't. And for uh, the riders, I don't know what you do now because yeah, you can bring in Duke Williams and it maybe helps your offense a little bit. You're having a hard time running the football, even with Cody Fajardo and William Powell uh, together um, and just throwing the ball. And, and, and the biggest issue right now is they're struggling to run the ball on first down and that's putting them in second and long. And Cody Fajardo just his accuracy has not been good. And the receivers okay, if you want to do lay it on the receivers, maybe they're not separating enough. Um, but people were talking about Schaefer Baker as this great, like, hot commodity in the CFL. You know, he's a newcomer. He's a rookie of the year and all this stuff. He's not a massive part of the offense anymore. Like, I, I, I don't get it. In Saskatchewan, um, for Craig Dickinson, I think if there's... I talked about Jimmy Elizondo. If there's a coach on the hot seat, if... The Riders don't make it to the Grey Cup. And there's going to be questions uh, about Greg Dickinson's future, I think, in Regina.
1: To your point on Kian Schaefer-Baker, he showed in the last couple of weeks that he's a great, I don't want to see even jump ball receiver, but he's a very athletic receiver that can go up and get it for you in any, any situation, and you can throw vertically to him with some comfort. What is that, a jump ball,
2: like one or two catches a game? Like yes. That's not going to change the context of an entire result.
1: But in the CFL, I mean, if you, if you miss a throw as Fajardo has been wanting to do in the last couple of weeks. Um, if you miss it short, he can bail you out if he's a great jump ball receiver is the point I'm making. And sometimes it really does come down, Kyle, as I look at this stuff more and more kind of mathematically or scientifically, that if you are taking 60 snaps in an offensive CFL game, then you are um, probably going to have you know, 10, 15 carries, which means you're going to end up having somewhere in and around like the 35, maybe 40 passing attempts uh is that's probably on the high end but of those i would say about 75 percent of them are going to happen underneath 10 yards which means that you're leaving yourself somewhere in around five to seven throws that are going to go more than 10 15 yards down the field on average if you're running jr it's different but and so if you get a receiver to get you a chunk play because they make a play that is superior to everybody else uh, on those shot plays that's going to make a difference like in hamilton we saw that with tim white uh, a shot down the left side, left hash to get out of their own end. And we also saw the Jalen Acklin touchdown as he weaved back inside the defensive back. Um, so those are those are shot plays that matter. And if you hit on those shot plays, that's how winnipeg won the great cup in 2019 was they didn't have to hit 12 of those plays they just needed three of them and if you hit three for three that's as good as going three for 12 it's actually more efficient so that's why i think this stat specifically is interesting this past week in this game Keen schaefer baker 27 yards receiving and you're going oh man that's not very good well here's the worst part 22 of them were yards after the catch he had five yards in the air credited to him as a receiver in this game as somebody who has proven that they can get down the field and make plays yeah Uh, that's that's concerning if I am a Saskatchewan fan right now because Kieran Moore is always going to have his six to eight catches in around 75 yards but it's a matter of whether or not you can get that supplemental help and yes Duke Williams coming in is good and yes Shaq Evans coming back from the foot is good that's probably going to push Keen Schaefer Baker down the lineup a little bit so it's probably not a huge concern I'm probably making too much of it but I do think it's important to have that organizational depth
2: yeah uh kieran moore uh six catches um william powell five catches Mm -hmm. like he was their second receiver um in the game i don't know how long you can go with that um where it's like check down check down check down and it's like okay that that's great when your defense is playing well your defense is not playing well even carry over 100 yards both uh Boldie by mitchell almost 300 yards in the game and i think that's the bigger issue and cody fajardo has been running for his life. Their offensive line is struggling right now. And again, Calgary has shown glimpses this year where they just dominate. And maybe that was a little bit of it, but I'm thinking back to last week against Calgary, a couple of weeks ago against Winnipeg. Yes, those are premier defensive lines, but to get to the great cup, you're going to have to be able to slow down those pass rushes. And Saskatchewan has not been able to this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. The last thing that I'll say on this game is everything that Calgary did went through the running back. So Bo Levi Mitchell ends up 20 of 28, higher completion percentage than he's basically had all year, up around that 300 yards, as you say. But 20 carries, 20 carries for Kadim Carey. You don't usually see it back in the CFL, up around 20 carries. 5.4 average, long of only 15, but he grinded away, controlled the time. And when you look at the receivers – Marky e. Vambles, two catches, 84 yards, right? Because he had a couple of big plays. Josh Huff, five catches for 74. He was the most consistent of the receivers. Hergie Mayala, four catches, 59 yards. But then it's Kadim Carey, five catches for 69. And Nick Hawley, four catches for 41. So two of their top five receivers in this ballgame were running backs. And it was a lot of checkdowns, a lot of crossers, a lot of flat routes. And that was how they controlled the clock. Because when you factor in that a lot of these these quick throws to running backs or these check down throws to running backs are essentially the same production grade that you would give a running play. That means that you've got, yeah, the 20 carries that end up going to Kadeem Carey, but then you also factor in, okay, well now I've essentially given Kadeem Carey 25 carries because I got him five targets in the passing game. Oh, and yeah. look, Nick he has got four. So now it's basically like Calgary essentially called 29 running plays in this game. Because there wasn't anything down the field to those two running backs when they were throwing it to them. So that's that's interesting because that that appears to be something that is of a weakness for Saskatchewan right now. And I don't know if it's linebacker play or they're trying to expose Deion Lacey in the passing game or what it is. But um, if Winnipeg was able to have a lot of success with Andrew Harris up front, maybe Calgary looked at that and said, we can take a little piece of this and use it going up against uh, the Riders.
2: Yeah, I think the Riders have many issues right now. And Duke Williams, like you said, um, Shaq Evans will definitely help their offense. Um, But I think the issues right now with that team are on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can't slow down teams in this league, you're putting so much more pressure on your offense. And I hate to say it, the Riders, not a high power, high octane offense. You're just not.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the uh, 20 carries in a game I just said was uncommon. Well, look no further than the Ottawa Montreal game for Cameron Artis Payne. 21 carries, 122 <laughs> yards. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. gets dinged. I That did not look good. Uh, th- that scared me because that looked like rotator cuff. That looked like labrum. As somebody who has had a messed up labrum, I'm glad it wasn't his throwing shoulder because that's even scarier because then you have to sometimes retrain your arm. We've all seen Drew Brees with the San Diego Superchargers holding his wrist and walking off the field after his arm was pinned back behind him, diving for a fumble. That felt very similar, but with the opposite arm to what Vernon M Jr. just went through. So I, I hope there's a positive update, but I'm really not hopeful that that's going to come. Uh, Matthew Shields comes in, goes three of three, drives him down the field, gives him an opportunity. They end up plunging in with Cameron Arter's pain and, uh, and get the victory there at home. So success for Montreal. Improvement again from Ottawa, but Ottawa does go 0-2 in a stretch where Toronto goes 2-0, and, and and I prefaced the broadcast last Wednesday by saying, crazy year, Ottawa's off to a really rough start, they've only beaten one other team, which is Edmonton, the two times they've done it, but Ottawa came in to, last Wednesday, two wins back of Toronto, like, mm-hmm. Ottawa had two wins, Toronto had four, well, here we stand five days later Ottawa's got two wins Toronto's got six and all of a sudden there's there's separation in the East division, it happens that quickly when you have these condensed week.
2: yeah um, i'm looking at this Ottawa red blacks team, as you know, this week, because they did play two games um, for a second here going back to the game that you called. Um, I look at the Ottawa team, and I think I can see the glimmer of hope still. Um, for Caleb Evans, and again, you mentioned it earlier. Um, the way he thinks the position and thinks the game is going to take some time, right? He's going to get those live reps and he's going to, you know, um, uh, take what he can uh, from those mistakes and, you know, get better from them. Um, in the Toronto game, he really struggled with guys dropping the coverage and identifying that because he threw a couple of picks and also almost threw a couple of other picks, um, in the Montreal game, I saw a little bit of improvement from Caleb Evans, um, in Ottawa, they just don't have that many horses, um, to, to ride, uh, to victory, um, for, for Montreal, the offense was weird in this one. Um, it was kind of a slow burn for a long time and Matthew Schiltz credit to him. He came in in a tough situation and he got the Alouettes, the, the victory, um, For Montreal, I still think they're a hit or miss team in terms of, man, they're not consistent. They can come out and, you know, put up a great performance and then throw up a dud where against BC at home, they kick six field goals. And it's like like, struggling to get into the end zone. Um, So I think that's the issue right now in the East Division where Toronto, I think, has separated themselves a little bit and everybody else is behind because... I just don't think they're as well rounded of a football team as Toronto is.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely on that, Uh, which leads us to Toronto and Hamilton, which ends off a busy five games here in week number 10, 10, a 10 B, whatever you want to call it, Toronto again, as we said off the top ends up getting themselves the victory. I love what the Argos social media has done in the last 24 hours uh, as they have Posted Boris Beattie holding up the kicking tee with fifty-eight for Jake Reinhardt, his long snapper that's injured and out for the remainder of the year. We're thinking about you, Jake. Hope that things are are going okay as you start your uh, your process of getting back on the field. But he holds up the kicking tee, makes the kick at the end. All of the rest. Uh, the, we already talked about the environment. So uh, where would you like to go with this game, Kyle? Because you experienced it firsthand. So the floor is yours.
2: Um, if you're a Ty Cats fan, it's tough because we've been screaming for weeks for the offense to start to figure it out and jeremiah masoli goes for over 300 yards um doesn't turn the ball over and you still come up short mm-hmm. now the reason i think the tight came up short the the def- the defense for hamilton started out the game very well and then they went into this weird shell where they're like okay the argos are not going to beat us over the middle and and deep but we're just going to leave the flats wide open and I don't know if you've done your target chart yet. You probably haven't. Um, but man, McLeod Bethel Thompson, he was just, oh, oh, there's pressure in my face again. I'm getting this ball out quick. Yeah. They yeah, right. Whether it's, you know, Foster or Wollett. I think Wollett had like three, four catches in this game. Yeah. Um. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to get the ball out quickly. And we're just going to pick up eight yards. And then we'll get the ball, you know, get the first down uh, on second and potentially a third down. Um, And I think that was the issue. Um, Hamilton tackling, I thought. As the game went along, the defense kind of got worn down um, because their tackling in the fourth quarter was atrocious. And back to the offense, for Jeremiah Masoli, you have to finish drives. Can't just keep kicking field goals. And uh, Bertolette in this game, what do you have, an 18-yard field goal, a 20-yard field goal? It's like a bunch of field goals inside. His longest was was
1: 28 in this game. He was 3 of 3, and his longest was 28.
2: Yeah, so um for, for Bertolette, I mean, again, maybe the the, the the trust factor isn't there yet, but we'll see.
1: Does it bother you at all that and I know that you pronounce a person's name how it's supposed to be pronounced, but every time that I see Bertolette or I hear Bertolette, it just feels very hoser, like Bertolette. I just wanna say Bertolet. Yeah, I don't think his name's Bertolais. I know, but like as a broadcaster, I'm like, oh man, I wonder if that guy who was playing in Montreal, would be like, here comes Taylor. This is not
2: Richard
1: Leonard. <laughs> I know. Like, eh, Bertolais sounds a lot better than Bertolais. I don't know, it's weird, <laughs> but uh, um, I'm sure that's how his name is being said. But yeah, it's yeah. the, the Chandler worthy back into the lineup, getting into the end zone, doing some punt returning for them as well. The player I was actually really impressed with here because I obviously have a soft spot for Canadians and for OUA guys, Curly Gittins Jr. ends up having seven catches on eight targets. He's the only Argos receiver to go over 100 yards. He's got 60 yards after the catch. He's averaging 15 yards per catch. His long was 22. He didn't get into the end zone. But, I mean, when you've got Curly Gittins Jr. doing that, Eric Rodgers is still out. DeVaris Daniels is is making the catch of the year with a toe-tap spinning pirouette in the front corner of the end zone against Kerry mm. Brooks. I'm like, Toronto looked like a first-place team in this game so much more than they did against Ottawa because in Ottawa, it was just the defense and special teams getting them touchdowns and the offense kind of pooping out a win. In this game, it was the Argos offense actually moving the football. Like you said, McLeod Bethel-Thompson... Ends up just dinking and dunking, getting the football out where he wants. Well, that ends up leading to 29 completions yeah. on 42 attempts for 388. Like he was, he was in a really nice rhythm for the most part in that game. And I, I, I will say this though, that was a full effort again, not just defense and special teams alongside the offense, Kyle. That was the roughing the passer call that that Ryan Dinwiddie challenged, and he got victorious on it that was huge that was fourth quarter don't turn the ball over wipe out an interception from the board and that's exactly why the challenge exists for coaches to to know the pinpoint moment. save your challenge no one to use it yes let's take the risk on this boom and the reward is massive for toronto
2: walking through the tim Hortons field uh concourse after the game try, try to get out of the stadium um a bunch of people were yelling about, you know, calls and the officials and Shocking. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't roughing the passer on Jaeger Davis. He hit him in the head. It's roughing the passer. Um, what I do want to talk about, I didn't think that was pass interference um, on the Argos as the Ticats were driving to try to, was that the you know, Tristan the
1: back. Deku when he ran through the back of Vunger? Yeah, that was not pass okay. interference. He
2: had his hand on the shoulder of longer, yeah. but he never moved the receiver. Like if we're going to start talking about pass interference for that, uh, we're not playing football. We're changing the definition on how to, I just thought he got to back.
1: I just thought he got there a little early. Like, I don't think that he, he grabbed or twisted. I don't think his hands were involved. I just thought he went through his back like a half second early. And this was always what Kent Austin said was that I hate that we review things in slow-mo. Because we're judging them initially at normal speed, and then we're watching them in slow-mo, and yeah. we're re- reassessing what the judgment call is. I don't know how you fix that, though, because there are certain things like when you're trying to see whether or not DeVar Daniels got his foot down in the end zone, or Braden Lenius in that game on Saturday night, did he get his foot down in the end zone, or was he out of bounds? Which, By the way, there was a great clip, I have to gift this, of Dave Dickinson walking over to the official and miming, stepping on the line. Uh, I was like, this is just such great footage for a coach walking over, but there's things we can slow-mo that can help. It almost feels like in the competition committee, they should say, what are the things that we should review at full speed? And what are the things that we should review at half speed? Because that changes the assessment of these things. And it's useful, whether it's a toe tap or whether it is, um, you know, I'm trying to think of another call that would be challenged on that outside of defensive pass interference, but roughing the passer, that gets judged at full speed with large man trying to hit a quarterback. We should probably watch that at full speed. And the same thing with that defensive pass yeah. interference.
2: And then like fumbles and stuff, those have to be yeah. done in slow mode. to yes. see if a knee was down or an elbow was down or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I didn't think that was uh pass interference. So even if the Ticats fans want to cry about the roughing the passer, I think it equaled itself out because I didn't think that was uh I, I didn't think that was pass interference. Um, moving forward uh in the game. Again, I thought Jeremiah was better. One positive I will take from the game, I thought the offensive line was a lot better. Um, I think Murray going to left tackle and Chris Van Zyl stepping in at right tackle, although Van Zyl took a weird procedure penalty. Uh, just You never really see the vet as the one guy on a young offensive line yeah. where he was the one guy to jump. And not only one guy to jump early, he was the only guy to jump. And I'm like, wait, did he have the snap count wrong <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> um, or it might, might have just been rust uh, for Chris Van Zau not being in the lineup for, for that long. Um, but yeah, I thought the offensive line played a lot better. I thought the offense was fine. I thought the offense went away from running the football in the first quarter. And the and the, the first half, they were running the ball down Toronto's throats. Malik Iron, Sean Thomas Erlington were really getting the better end. And I thought Hamilton were being dominant up front. They went away from that in the fourth quarter. I think they only had like four rushing yards in the fourth. Mm. And it's like, yeah, if you want to, you know, really punch in a, a ball inside the 10 yard line for a touchdown, those are the moments when sometimes you have to rely on your running game. And I thought the psychats kind of went away from that Um, for Jeremiah. Again, I, I don't put this loss on him, but man, it, He has a bad record. This is 0 4.
1: I know. Yeah. 0
2: 4 this season. And for the Ticats, look, Dane Evans Jr., uh, uh, Dane Evans Jr., Dane Evans is definitely the starting quarterback for the Ticats. And when he comes back, he's going to take snaps for Hamilton. Um, But until then, you can't fall behind in in the East Division. And if you were going to play David Watford ever over Jeremiah Masoli, I thought you would have done it this week after Jeremiah's struggling performance last week. Um I don't think you do it now. Um but we'll see going into the bye week. Um as for you know Toronto, I thought it was another reason why McLeod Bethel Thompson might be the starting quarterback over Nick Arbuckle. Yeah. I just think their offense is a little bit more creative um, with McLeod Bethel Thompson, then Nick Arbuckle, Nick Arbuckle has a lot of Cody Fajardo for me, maybe not athleticism, but throwing the football. There's a lot of inconsistencies there from Nick Arbuckle and McLeod Bethel Thompson. If the receiver's open, he's going to be able to hit it. Um, and I think that's important, uh, for Toronto, but I think they have question marks here. Um, I, it's funny because I tweeted out during the game that McLeod Bethel Thompson in the first half, he struggled so much. I'm like, do we see Nick Arbuckle here? Um, he dressed, I still don't think he's healthy. Um, but if he's not healthy, why are you dressing him as a backup? Because McLeod Brothers Thompson, he took some hits in that game.
1: Yeah. He looks pretty good based on all the clips that we've kind of seen come out. They also played the clips of Dane Evans throwing pregame and he looked like he was as live an arm as you could possibly have in that spot. So, uh, it's, it's interesting to see those two guys go against each other on labor day. And then you're back like a month later or so. And, they're both standing on the sidelines and they both look like they're kind of ready to go, but the other guys are playing at this point. So, but for the Ty cats, like they didn't lose a home game since 2018.
2: And right. now they've lost back to back home games. Yeah. That's a bad look. And again, I don't want to put this loss on Jeremiah, but the confidence in, you know, for Ty fans and Jeremiah that at this point, I think it's gone. Like, yeah. I, I just, I don't think Ty cats fans trust that guy trying to win a game, but we'll see.
1: Yep, it's a tough spot to be in for them. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week here on Marsh and Mello. We appreciate it. Uh, no big three-minute warning or anything with great fanfare today because uh, we don't have all the clips lined up. But uh, I How about do, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, yeah, well, the one <laughs> the one NFL thing I did just want to talk about here for about two minutes before we uh, get it, to get out is because I have had my head buried in the CFL sand. I in in passing, I saw the Gruden stuff, and I thought. Nah, eh, okay. Yeah, I mean that's bad obviously. And I uh, but I mean are you shocked? Like look at John Gruden. Did you think that he voted Democrat? When you look at John Gruden, like did you? No. <laughs> so, <was> it, like <laughs> what, what are we doing being shocked by John Gruden, like guy who <laughs> carries himself that way, talks the way that he does in public. Did you think behind closed doors that he was going to be a super respectful person accepting of yeah. of all different people of all different re- regions of life? So, um I'm not surprised by any of this. I am surprised that he resigned. (laughs) Like, I thought this might be like a couple game suspension or maybe like some lost draft picks or all these. But again, any of that punishment for a thing that you said when you were not part of the National Football League would have been like, oh, why are we punishing this? Like the optics of this are a little strange. But for him to just straight up 10-year contract, $100 million, whatever it was, and to backpedal out the back door, I'm like, "Uh, I did not see that being the ending to this relationship.
2: And for Gruden, look, he's close to Mark Davis and the Davis family. So I think that's why he resigned because he didn't want to make a big thing uh, about it or at least a bigger thing about it uh, than it had to be. Like he was done, right? And it was either Mark Davis fired him and he probably loses a friend yeah. um, or resign and he can still hang out with a Mark Davis's, you know, probably golf course or something like that country <laughs> club uh, and his group of friends. Um, for John Gruden now, enjoy retirement, buddy, because you're not getting another job. Not only, oh. in, I, not only as a as a coach, ESPN.
1: Uh, that's Fox. Not happening. Fox. No, that's not happening. Oh, well, Fox well, News. No, we'll have that too. But <laughs> he'll be a contributor <laughs> of Fox News. But no, I, I and I don't think that he's like hardline, you know, that direction, MAGA hat, and all that no. kind of stuff. but I, but I do I think, think behind
2: closed doors, he acts like an idiot around his friends.
1: Yes, yeah, it's exactly it, right. and and I, but I do believe that uh, there will be a spot in a booth immediately for him at fox sports to call football games like he has experience doing that stuff and i'm I'm not saying that he's replacing troy aikman on the america's game of the week but i'm saying he could slot in as a number three on fox's broadcast pretty quickly because fox is uh, plays a little loose and fast when it comes to issues like this whereas espn mickey mouse disney is going to kind of hide and run the other direction i think so i just i wanted to bring that up because i found that to be real interesting because I was actually laying in bed last night, opened up my phone, saw Gruden trending. I'm like, oh, it's like, what? And I go, oh, more stuff came out. Well, that's kind of predictable. Oh, look, he's not the coach anymore. And I just, I did, did not see it coming. It was very surprising to me. So uh, anyways, we, we end your uh, marshmallow experience with a little side note of that. Maybe we just told somebody who was a big CFL fan that Gruden's not the coach anymore of the Las Vegas Raiders. And they're as shocked as I was when I found it out. So public service announcement oh.
2: there. One thing I do want to uh, touch on, I forgot to mention it in the tigers Argos game, Uh, Chris Jones, um, there was one point, and a bunch of people in the press box noticed this, he was yelling at the referee, Uh, and I'm talking about yelling at the referee and then going up and having a conversation with him, and I'm like, does Chris Jones know he's not the head coach? And I'm like, (laughs) I don't think he knows. (laughs) To Chris Jones, I think he's running. He thinks he's running things.
1: I laugh when they bring up the bar underneath him on the broadcast and it says defensive (laughs) consultant.
2: Oh, no, he's running things.
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) So what are we doing? Like, it's as if you have the president of the United States and, uh, you know, you put up a banner on the bottom that says uh, local councilman. It's like, no, he's the We see he's the president. We see that he's running stuff. Like, just call him the president. It's fine. You don't have to say, like, local mayor runs for office. It's like, no. We, we get it. We, we see what's happening here, but uh, maybe they're just doing that out of respect for Glenn Young. Cause of what he did with that defense where they don't want to give up his title. And I don't know if that, that comes with uh, legal things and all the rest that's over my head. But uh, anyways, that is the show for us. Thank you as always for checking us out, having some fun with us for an hour or so here on your Monday slash Tuesday Monday's going forward after we're done this crazy three week stretch of all these weekday games. Thank you to Fox 40, of course, for helping us out and being a part of the program. Uh, we love everything that Fox 40 has got going on the trailer whistle mask, the Fox 40, electronic whistle you can check out these products and more visit fox40shop.com of course get your beer from sawdust city beer and don't forget oua.tv free all football games streaming live and on demand oua.ca as well as where you can go for your home of stats standing scores and much much more i'm going to end the show right now so i don't have to talk about mcmaster losing in overtime against the windsor lancers thanks everybody for being here on the show have yourselves a great week Hey, Hamilton, Ontario. I will be at McMaster's University this Friday at 7 p.m. Can't wait. See you
2: there. Bye. And again, like, we're struggling for sports content here. If TSN had, like, on webcam.